Expanding the debate beyond whites and blacks and saying, okay, why are most of our wealthiest populations minorities? Uh, Japanese Americans, Nigerian Americans, Lebanese Americans, West Indian Americans. Um, there's no BLM response to that. Yes. Saying, why aren't the police in low crime black neighborhoods? Um, I mean, if you go into Maryland around DC, black area, one of the wealthiest in the country, there are not cops fighting people in the streets. Why not? Race alone explains almost none of this. And that's the issue with Black Lives Matter. The total number of unarmed black people shot by police last year was nine. For that matter, the total number of unarmed whites shot by police last year was 40. So, I mean, it's it's important to say, well, why this? I'm, I've established I'm not a racist. In my case, I'm black. You know, uh, these are the numbers on gang violence. These are the numbers on gun crime, knife crime. Now, why are we talking about this over here? Okay, I'm joined today by Wilfred Riley. Wilfred is an assistant professor of political science at Kentucky State University and the author of books including Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War, and Taboo, 10 Facts You Can't Talk About. He's also a well-known political commentator and regularly appears on TV and in print. Wilfred, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean, I guess we could start by discussing your book and then we should definitely move on to the protests which are going on at the moment around the world. Um, But your book is obviously very pertinent to that. So what is the thesis of your book, Taboo? Well, the book Taboo, uh, broadly speaking, it's a critique of cancel culture. But what the book does is look at um, 10 things I identify that mostly relate to race and sex relations that you're sort of not supposed to discuss. And this ranges from critiquing Black Lives Matter to criticizing the alt-right to discussing race and IQ, immigration. And I really, I look at what the data says on each one of these points. I'm actually extremely critical of both Black Lives Matter and the alt-right. I don't want to say these sort of cliches like facts don't care about your failings, but I find that there very often are, there's a very limited correlation between that kind of scientific reality that I see in the professional portion of my job and what people say in public about such things as white privilege. And I mean, certainly you want to write academic papers about that. You want to engage that in forums. I recently spoke with the Manhattan Institute, but it's also a good idea to, with a large high IQ public audience, say, well, this doesn't really make sense. Can any of you convince me that it does? And that's what the book's designed to do. Right. Okay. So what, so for example, on something like your critique of Black Lives Matter or white privilege at the moment in the current climate, I know hundreds of people who would find just even those statements themselves unbelievably offensive and something which just hearing someone say it would make it's just hearing someone say that would make them very angry but so what is it which that you mean when you say there are issues with the black lives matter movement or with the concept of white privilege well almost everything black lives matter says empirically is wrong now again when it comes to critiquing you know the right on a golf course or black lives matter at a cocktail party among young people i mean i encourage people to use tact you know again constant yeah. fist fights and arguments. But I mean, there there are empirical realities that at least in our own homes, I mean, we should be extraordinarily aware of. And I encourage people to share these as well. The Black Lives Matter narrative essentially is that there is epidemic police violence against black people, particularly in the States, particularly males. Um, I mean, the platform for the movement for black lives describes this as 
uh, this paraphrasing a bit, but nearly an existential threat to the black community. Our, our bodies are targeted in every imaginable situation from police encounters to pop culture. Cherno Biko famously went on Fox and said that a black man is, as I recall the phrase, was murdered every 28 hours. So you assume that would mean perhaps an unarmed killing, something like this. Um, the, the numbers don't bear that out in any sense. If you're talking about hundreds or thousands of people, the total number of unarmed black people killed last year by the police. You guys can check this out at the Washington Post, the counted police shootings database. It's absolutely not debated. was nine. Um, so every one of these poems that you see on Facebook and Twitter, you know, I freeze as I see the blue lights of the killers behind me and this kind of thing. This is people wildly exaggerating these nine tragic deaths. Right. Um, and the data more broadly reflects this trend. I mean, in a typical year in the USA, and American police do need some demilitarization, in my opinion. There's more violence than there is from British police, for example, or even Italian or Russian police uh, in most cases. But the total number of people killed by police in a year is going to be less than 1,100. We're a giant country. Last year, it was uh, 1,004. Um Perhaps 20 to 30 percent of those people will be black. Uh, last year, 229 were identified as African-Americans. Again, complete honesty. I assume there were some small number of blacks in the undocumented or unknown category. But 250 people, let's say, um, perhaps a bit more, perhaps a bit less. But that's very typical. Um, and almost none of those people, again, we're talking about a thousand at the most or a little more, are going to be unarmed, innocent victims Last year, a total of 41 unarmed people, uh, that may just be men, were killed by police. Only nine were African-American. You can argue whether nine is disproportionate out of 40, but it's worth comparing this to the number of people killed by wasps last year, which was 89. So this entire often histrionic movement with people falling down in front of police and crying or, you know, dressed up as death going to protest. I mean, that it is based around these nine people. Okay. It, this to me is almost a mass public hysteria. And this seems to be a time of mass public hysterias, actually. And I think that this, this trend toward panic promoted by the media is a negative trend. There almost never is data to bear this stuff out. So, so on something like this protest, which you're seeing at the moment, okay, fine. So before we move on to the protest, which you're seeing at the moment, what are some of the stats which you regularly hear quoted, which you think are, I mean, you've given a list of some figures, but what are some others which you think are central to the narrative of the Black Lives Matter movement, which you think are misleading? So, for well, example, some the Black Lives Matter movement avoids stats whenever possible. I mean, right. whenever I have these conversations, because, I mean, I have a Facebook, I have a Twitter. I'm Will underscore Duh underscore Beast 630 on Twitter. Um, used to be yeah, a I'll, battle rap. Battle I'll put a link to it in the in the show notes as well, and like down at the bottom as well, so everyone can pick that up. Thank you. But yeah. um, I mean, generally, when I say something absolutely factual, like the other day, you know, I had some spare time in a meeting, and I said, "Well, I might as well, you know, argue with folk online." Uh, and I actually just posted that. I said, "You know, with all respect to these people who seem to be in general a good group of men, the total number of people killed by cops last year who were black and unarmed was nine. And the histrionic reactions began almost immediately. I mean, someone said that's nine too many and blocked me. Um, someone else apparently was able to do, they're a web designer, so they were able to do 24-point font on Twitter, and they just started listing the names of the nine people over and over. Yeah. Um, I, as I recall, I eventually blocked them. But the, the reality here, again, 
I think when people write histrionic stories about death, they should be required to mention in parentheses how many people actually die in these world powers like the USA and the UK every year. So, so on something like, so a statistic which is often quoted, which I looked up recently, I was quite surprised to see how inaccurate that statistic was, is that you're much more likely to be shot if you're a black person in America than if you're a white person. Which, so, I mean, it's true to some extent, but it, that is a misleading statistic. So if you could maybe go into some detail about why. Sure. I mean, that would be a bit misleading whether you're talking about police shootings or just individual shootings. But for police shootings, it's wildly misleading. I mean, so just so many things. When you do social science, what you generally do is called multivariate regression analysis. Um, I wouldn't give myself more than, say, a B plus or an A minus at this, although I'm fairly good. I generally focus on linear, logistic, just the baselines you use in a research paper. But what you do is you take a dependent variable that you're interested in, such as income. And you look at all the things that could affect that race, sure, but also class, age, region of the country, so on, in a sophisticated computer model where each is controlled at the median as you look at the effect of first one, then the second, then the third, so on down the line. So to look at whether black people are more likely than white people to be shot by police officers, let's just keep it there. You'd first have to adjust for urban residency. Black people in the USA tend to be a working class urban population. Um, there are more cops in urban areas. I don't notice they're especially sweet and pleasant in Italian American or Hispanic American neighborhoods. You'd have to adjust for age. Uh, the most common age for a black male in the USA is 27. For a white male, it's 58. When people, and I'll, I'll call out the right on this, when people get hysterical about black crime, you know, the rate can be twice as high in some years and this sort of shouting, you again have to look at the fact that the average black guy, using a modal statement here, there are many different averages, but is 20 and the white guy is 50. That's going to dramatically affect that. It's going to dramatically affect income. That's going to affect police shootings as well. I don't know if I'd use average there, but it's the most common age, certainly for those races. Um, so all that comes into play. But with black police shootings, the most obvious variable is how often people come into contact with the police and what the crime rate is. So this, again, is a controversial thing to discuss, but it's not widely disputed. If you look at what's called the Bureau of Justice Statistics annual report, comes out every year, Mr. Trump's administration did a good job, Mr. Obama's administration did a good job. What you'll see is that the black violent crime rate is about 2.2 to 2.4 times the white crime rate. And this is as reported by victims, not by potentially crooked cops. The BJS is literally a survey of roughly 200,000 people by same race interviewers whenever, whenever possible, absolutely anonymous, designed to figure out who in the country experienced crime. So that crime rate, and of course, whites dominate most corporate crimes. If you want to break this down racially, I don't see a reason to, but stock fraud isn't primarily something you associate with um, African-Americans. I didn't see a single black person in that Tiger King documentary. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so at any rate, 2.4 times the victim reported crime rate leads to roughly the same number of encounters with police. And that is why there are more black people shot by police. Like if you take a population percentage of 14, and you multiply that by 2.4, you get 31% or whatever. And that's exactly the upper bound of African-American shot by the cops that we see in reality. So a lot of this is just extremely simple. I mean, if you look at the number of people shot by police, I wouldn't start out with an inherent assumption that certainly Hispanics or poor whites were less likely to get shot by the cops than black people. But I mean, you very quickly find that it, that's not the case. There are very few differences between those groups. 
And if you do find that disproportion, that black people make up 14% of the country, but 23% of those shot to be disturbing, you then have to adjust for crime rate. And once you do this, again, the, dif- the differences vanish. Right. Okay. So you are an African-American guy. When I make the... I, if I make this point, I will get a lot of people telling me that I'm basically carrying water for white supremacy. That's what I've been told over and over. Does it make any difference, the fact that you are African-American to the responses you get, or is it irrelevant? It probably makes it harder to call me a Nazi, I would say, that I'm a big, bald-headed, bearded black guy. I mean, like, yeah, of course it does. Uh, I also, interestingly, have a strong tradition of anti-racism. I mean, I had a fairly well-known regionally televised debate with Jared Taylor, who's generally considered the founder of the all-right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I made the point that I don't think that when people critique multiracial societies, you know, as compared to what monoracial societies like Bosnia, Somalia, where people end up fighting along tribal lines but where there's no racial diversity. Yeah. I don't see that the first category is less successful by any means. You know, arguments made on both sides. But I'm I clearly took the anti-racist stance. I teach at a black college. So I think that at a certain point, it gets kind of ludicrous when people try to label me a bigot. Uh, yeah, I would expect that as, say, an urban white guy, if you said some of these things, you'd get some more allegations of racism. But understand, again, at least in the privacy of your home and when preferably if you're you know, feeling aggressive that day anywhere, understand that that is a nonsensical claim that you should be prepared to respond to. If you make a database point, if you say, I understand your pain, man, but keep in mind that this is nine people and there were 90 people, I assume rather horrifically, killed by bee stings last year, you know, (laughs) 20 killed by lightning. I mean, again, burnt alive. You know, what makes this something that we should focus on other than the chance to extract money from sort of the white system? What makes this the thing? I mean, I grew up in a large city and the major threat to both black men and working class white men was other young men. Fighting was constant shootings were not infrequent, knifings were fairly common. Um, I know a number of young men that were killed in gang violence, uh, a number that were killed in our Richard the Lionheart style adventures in the Middle East, uh, a number that were killed just by drugs. I don't know a single person coming from that big city background that's been killed in a gunfight with a police officer. So, I mean, it's, it's important to say, well, why this? I've, I've established I'm not a racist. In my case, I'm black. You know, uh, these are the numbers on gang violence. These are numbers on gun crime, knife crime. Now, why are we talking about this over here? Why are we talking about these six guys or nine or 12 guys? And I've yet to hear an effective response to that. So do you think that on something like the the process we're seeing worldwide at the moment, I can definitely understand why there is just an instinctive feeling of outrage when people see the video of George Floyd being killed, because it's just so... It's so disgusting to see that. And it just rings so many historic bells of, and it has so many historic parallels with other forms of brutalization of black people by white police and racist attacks in the past. Do you think that there's kind of an extent to which, while a lot of the statistics which are shared are misleading, these protests aren't just about um, protesting about the disproportionate number of black deaths. It's also a generalized protest against things like police violence in general, it seems to affect black people because of maybe the communities they live in more or racism or whatever, and the inequality black people face. And to that extent, do you think that they are somehow 
they're more justified or do you still think that they're basically flawed in their idea? I mean, things have to be based in reality. I mean, my breaking up with my feminist girlfriend because hundreds of years ago, women wouldn't have sex until marriage or would poison gentlemen or something like that would make no sense because that's not the context of us dating in a big city today. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to say that, um, yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense to say that because there's a history of racism in the USA, you can use flawed or inaccurate statistics to protest this very specific thing today. Uh, there's a lot there, actually. Like, So first of all, I also find the idea of institutional racism to be flawed. Yeah. One of the things about a lot of these debates is that everyone essentially agrees on what should happen to bad, crooked cops. Um, certainly every city kid does. As I said, they didn't treat punk rock shows or Hispanic American neighborhoods that well either. But in fact, broadly, uh, the consensus here goes from Ben Shapiro over to the NAACP. Um, everyone similarly agrees that individual bigots are bad and that there are a fair number of them. I mean, I've done some very simple studies around this and found that a one in 10 whites, my dissertation asked some questions that led directly to bigotry. One in 10 whites, about one in seven people of color test as a bigot. So no one denies there are racists. What the idea of institutional racism does, though, is essentially take every gap between groups and attribute it to prejudice. And this very, very often simply is not true. It is simply disingenuous for modern college-educated people to pay attention to racism and ignore affirmative action. The reality is that you have to, when you look at gaps, you have to calculate what's the effect of prejudice, what's the effect of AA or positive discrimination on the other side, and what's the effect of the fact that 90% of people aren't bigots. And only after you've done that first basic adjustment could you conclude that a gap even potentially is due to racism. Even then, they're often not. I mean, the, um, the government economist, June O'Neill, who I believe is a leftist, and the conservative researcher, Dinesh D'Souza, who at the time wasn't extraordinarily partisan, In 1995, both looked at the fact that black men make only 82% of what white men do in income terms. And this is, I mean, bear in mind, this is 40 years by that point after Brown v. Board. Had racism continued for two generations, they wondered. What they found is that if you just adjust for age, again, you know, 50 versus 20 region, black people are far more likely to live in the South. And uh, as I recall, number of years, not even quality of education, just did you get the sheepskin, that gap almost entirely vanished. You're over 90% shared comedy in terms of incomes by that point. If you adjust for SAT or IQ score, it basically goes away. Does racism have some effect on the margins? You have less access to books in black communities, perhaps. But what they found is that 25 years ago, the same black guy and the same white guy are going to be treated virtually identically. And that's been repeated over and over and over since. So I don't think you can just look at a performance gap and say, well, that's racism. The simple question, why are Asians kicking everyone's ass? Yeah. (laughs) True everywhere in the developed world. So, okay. So, but I, I have, I totally understand all this, but so these are some responses I've had because I've tried to kind of tentatively broach a lot of these issues with different people over the past few years. A lot of people say, yes, that's true. First of all, even mentioning the statistics themselves is racist, though. But the second thing is, if even though the statistics might be true, there are loads of other statistics. For example, the fact that black guys are more likely to get pulled over for having a broken taillight 
um, or they might get harsher sentences, which show that the system still is racist. Also, there's a general sense of discontent with the police in kind of black communities, which reflects the fact that they've been quite aggressively policed historically. And the fact that black people are concentrated in the lower economic classes is a result of historic prejudice, at least in part. Those are three standard responses, all of which I have some sympathy with. What is your response to people who say that? The last one of those is valid. I mean, I think it's idiotic I even need to say this, but neither of us is a racist. I'm a pro-black black guy. I mean, you're a diverse group of friends, Brit podcaster. I mean, none of us wants the whites or the blacks or whatever exterminated. And this indicates how absurd the Overton window has become. No, no, neither of us even wants the blacks or the whites or whatever harmed. I'm not a bigot. I don't think you are. But uh, the final one of those that the concentration. So today, I think I've just demonstrated using the standard income breakdown, probably the most important stat other than happiness. Yep. That most of these things that are attributed to institutional racism are not due to institutional racism. That if you took a Nigerian immigrant in either of our countries, they would perform on par with or slightly above because of affirmative action effects, a white guy. Um, also because of hard work. So that today, people, I do think, are treated pretty much the same. If you're an Asian-American dentist and you go to a golf course, there aren't guys running out there like, you bloody Kaffir, you know, get off, get off our greens. Yeah. I mean, you know, not, not joking about you know, the offensive terms that we use in the distant past, but it's not a thing that happens today. It is true, however, that, yeah, sure, if you look at something like poverty housing, the fact that whites and blacks fought for centuries and whites got the better of it, there was a fair amount of oppression. Yes, of course, that contributes to the fact that there are disproportionately more black people among the poor. But if you look in the United States, I mean, the massive 50 plus percent majority of poor people are white. Um, the poorest counties invariably, if you take a look, are going to be Appalachian counties in Kentucky. They're going to be, you know, cowboys and Indians territory in South Dakota. The great working class black urban neighborhoods don't crack the top 50 usually. So if you and I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to say, well, we should give poor black people money, but ignore poor whites and Latinos. Um, I mean, we took a fair amount of the Southwest from Mexico, although albeit in a declared war, we didn't steal it. So if you're saying we need to help poor people, sure, but that doesn't have anything to do with this claim that there's constant oppression today of similar people. Um, In terms of most of the stats you use, other than just bringing up the fact we do need to apologize and account for the past, and again, no one disputes that at all, uh, most of those other stats are badly flawed. Um, Once again, they're crap. Like when you talk about why there are more police in urban black neighborhoods, it's not just because the cops decided to go mess with black people. The way policing happens today Uh, Since the 1990s, it's been called the CompStat policing model. You ethically and legally have to send cops where there's the most crime. So as it happens, just as this would have been Irish-American neighborhoods in the past, if you think about where the term paddy wagon came from and so on, today, most of those neighborhoods are African-American neighborhoods, some Hispanic, Eastern European, et cetera, neighborhoods thrown in. And in all of those neighborhoods across race, you're going to see a higher proportion of police officers, and that's a higher proportion of police encounters. So it's absolutely understandable that if you're a law-abiding black high school student who's a male and you live in one of these neighborhoods, you're going to feel harassed by the police. But again, the claim that the police are there because of racism or because they hate blacks is absolutely invalid. The police go to the neighborhoods by rule that have the highest percentage of violent crime. And again, I think, frankly, discussing this, why are all these cops here? Well, because you guys had 27 shootings last month. I think that would really change the dynamic. 
what Black Lives Matter does is sort of a mathematically take raw differences. Like there are more cops in black communities. We earn slightly, but definitely less money and then scream racism. And the reality is almost invariably more complex. Again, that the sideline almost throwaway comment that I made there. I mean, arguably the most discriminated group, a discriminated against group in the USA since 9-11 has been Arab Americans. They're one of the richest groups in the country. Why? Simply expanding the debate beyond whites and blacks and saying, okay, why are most of our wealthiest populations minorities? Uh, Japanese Americans, Nigerian Americans, Lebanese Americans, West Indian Americans. Um, there's no BLM response to that. Yes. Saying, why aren't the police in low crime black neighborhoods? Um, I mean, if you go into Maryland around D.C., black area, one of the wealthiest in the country, there are not cops fighting people in the streets. Why not? Race alone explains almost none of this. And that's the issue with Black Lives Matter. There's sort of pseudoscience. The same thing with the all right, by the way. So what do you what is the correct response to these protests? Do you, I mean, ultimately, I've heard people arguing that even though loads of the statistics used to whip them up are completely misleading in many ways, the end result might be greater focus on the disproportionate inequalities faced by the black community. So we may as well just kind of shut up and not look at the statistics because there's obviously some form of anger and they probably got a point. What was your response to that? Imagine how patronizing that is. I mean, the, so the, the argument you just made, I don't think you're making it sincerely as yourself, but is, okay, all of the statistics that these woke young city kids are using are wrong. They're dead wrong. The total number of unarmed black people shot by police last year was nine. For that matter, the total number of unarmed whites shot by police last year was 40. Okay, we admit this. We acknowledge that it's all BS, but still we should let people march and fight one another in the streets because they feel passion. That's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, if I felt passion with my partner, we couldn't have sex in public, at least if there were police around, you know. If I felt passionately angry with someone, I can't at least pass 30, punch them in the face and start a brawl. We don't generally allow people to do things that are not based in knowledge and that are often illegal because they feel strongly about them. Um, in making Changing that rule would invalidate about half the laws on the books. And drug use and dueling and so on. So no, I think it, it is absolutely relevant that Black Lives Matter says that, you know, let's estimate many hundreds of unarmed black people are killed every year and the total number's not. Because in the first case, there'd be a problem. In the second case, there's not. We don't want anyone to die. But if it were actually true that tens of thousands of unarmed black men were being murdered on the way to church, I would be out in the streets with a gun or a brick bat myself, frankly. Um, but that is not the case. If it is the case that nine people were killed and all of those officers or almost all those officers were brought to justice, then we don't necessarily have an issue. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely valid to criticize protests that are based on an absolute lack of knowledge. A term that was used by the former conservative president of the United States, George W. Bush, was the soft bigotry of low expectations. So he said that today... With urban leftists and moderates and even his sort of, you know, country club Republican, you don't ever see actual racism. This has been my experience as well. Outside of something like a scuffle in high school, I've never heard anyone scream racial profanities at me or something like this. Maybe once in Chicago traffic. I mean, and people say all kinds of things in Chicago traffic. It's not it, that that virtually doesn't exist. But what does exist, I find, and this exists more often among leftists, is a tendency to view minorities as sort of charming, attractive, but stupid children. Um, 
to say, well, and I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but to say, well, sure, your movement's not based on any facts, but I support it is the most patronizing thing you could say. And I wonder about the motivations, maybe just fun to have a party. I've actually seen them doing most of the looting in the USA, so there's a motivation. But you wonder about the motivations of the white liberals that are attaching themselves to this movement, because at some level they have to know. I mean, the, the black participants seem to be genuinely passionate because they are black. This is generally perceived as a black issue. I'm sure they range in education, as you mentioned, unfortunately, but truly, we are a poorer group right now. But all these college kids out there throwing firebombs, they have at some level to know these facts. So they are fighting for a movement based on things that aren't true. The question is why? And I don't think there's a positive answer to that. The answers could range from patronization to I'm a damned thief to I think the most common, which is that I want a very different society from this one. And I'm willing to use false claims to achieve that different society. But I think that different society would be a communist nightmare rather than utopia. So what, what do you think is motivated? Do you think there's a disconnect between the white liberal and kind of middle class liberal Black Lives Matter ideological side of things and kind of just working class black people who might not be that familiar with that whole narrative, who just have a more innate anger at the situation they're in do you think that's a distinction which is important to make or do you think that this is just being whipped up by the spread of statistics which are misleading which which of those two takes do you think is closer to reality i think it's a combination i think that obviously and first of all obviously there are many wealthy black people as well i think that the leadership of black lives matter black and white is probably made up of upper middle to lower upper class people that have socialist political beliefs And if you look at the actual platform of the movement for black lives, it includes things like opposition to capitalism and strong support for transgender rights that aren't really on the ground narratives in the black community. And I think that the I think that many of the people that are leaders of, quote unquote, the new civil rights movement, Sean King comes to mind, are using these ideas that exist in, quote unquote, the hood that are based on flawed data to mobilize people toward a society that they think would be preferable to this one. But I think that this is a trick that's being played on the black community, frankly. Um, Capitalism is flawed, but middle-class capitalism works better than almost any other economic system we've tried. Um, Scandinavian-style socialism works well enough, but those are tiny, homogenous, upper-income populations. And I think that what's being proposed by BLM's leadership team would end up a lot more like Venezuela than like Norway. So, but I think to, whether or not you agree with me about socialism, I think that to get people to pursue these economic and political goals, misleading information is being fairly constantly used. And this, even the U.S. Democratic Party, although I voted for the Democrats in the past, plays this trick on the black community. The black community in the United States is one of the more culturally conservative communities in the country. I mean, if you ask black people about rates of church going um, or rates of willingness to perform military service, Or for that matter, if we're being honest, attitudes toward gay rights, black people would test far to the right of the average white person, certainly the average white leftist. The reason black people almost consistent, almost constantly participate in leftist politics is the idea that we're being racially oppressed. And this is ruthlessly exploited by white left wing politicians. I mean, when he and his boss were running against Mitt Romney, who's one of the most milk toast corporate executives you could find out there. I mean, former CEO of Bain helped design their affirmative action program, helped design a socialized healthcare system in uh, Massachusetts. 
One of the first things Joe Biden said about him in front of a large black audience was he's going to put you back in chains. And I remember I was like having a beer with some buddies. Politics were on one screen, sports on the other. And I didn't think much of this. But over the years, it just struck me how ridiculous it was. Like, do you really think that if we elect a moderate Republican president, he's going to bring back slave plantations? I mean, is, is that a thing that you consider to be on the horizon of possibility? Yeah. And it, it just it, this wasn't a one off for, um, you know, quote unquote, Uncle Joe. He did this again a couple of days ago where he was talking with Charlemagne the God, the hip hop radio uh, host. And Charlemagne asked him a perfectly reasonable question about dividing the black vote. And Joe Biden yelled, you ain't black. Or if you do that, you ain't black or whatever the context was. Yeah, I saw that. Race is the sole reason most politically moderate African-Americans vote strictly for the left. So and what, I think that is exploited. So what do you say to people who you see, for example, all the celebrities and pretty much my everyone I've met, or it seems like everyone I've met, it's hard to know how many people agree with it, but so many people I know and almost every celebrity in the public eye, as well as pretty much every media commentator in the mainstream and half of all politicians or more are just posting the same, more or less exactly the same thing about this, which is total uniform support for the Black Lives Matter narrative, I suppose, or for the protests. What's your view on that? Because I'm a bit torn because I definitely have real, real issues with just the dissemination of very misleading and really, really divisive statistics. And also the really patronizing way in which if you try to question that from whatever background you are, you'll have people telling you that you're basically not able to participate in the discussion, even if you're a black guy. Whereas if you are any any race and you say something which is exactly bang on the narrative, it's basically like, oh yes, this is perfect. We have to like educate ourselves. And so what's your view on that? But having said that, I've got concerns about that, but I also don't want to just dismiss all of the protesters' concerns as completely fabricated because I imagine there are issues facing Black America which which could be made better. So what's your approach to this situation? Well, I think um, years ago, a friend of mine was in a position where he was managing some sort of sketchy cam girl website. And was this, there's, a, there's a point here. And he was talking with a group of us and he asked, well, I'm making money from this, what I consider to be immoral behavior. Am I a pimp? And one of the guys at the table just looked over at him and said, a thing is what it is. It's not something else. And then went back to whatever he was doing. And that that's kind of my attitude toward a lot of this. Things either are real or they are not. If you claim that there are thousands of people being killed annually by police and there are 10 what you are saying is not true. It should not be taken as seriously as a thing that were true. People can try to patronize and rationalize their way out of this, but all of the, all the endless listing of these names is going to be the same 50 guys, because that's how many legitimately unarmed, innocent people were, in fact, killed by police over the past five years or so. So... We can definitely. So, do the protesters have a point? Uh, sure, they have a point, which is that every one of the officers responsible for those shootings should be in jail, and I suppose three or four of them aren't. But it's an incredibly regionalized, localized point. Um, at, at a practical level, for example, you could say, is it worth breaking the COVID quarantines if you're still worried about COVID 19 to protest for these nine people? Uh, the answer would be probably not. Aren't you going to sicken a great deal more than nine people by doing that? You know, so wouldn't one super spreader coming out of that kill 10 people? But at the very least, if we accept the disease is a serious threat to elders and we're all going to wear these masks and so on, I think most people did accept that. 
You can't at the same time say, well, we're going to have street riots for a week in public in the downtown because these nine people justify that. If you actually look at the real statistics here, there's very little practical argument for most of what's gone on. And yes, I think that has to be pointed out. It is a form of racism not to point that out. If someone says, I'm at extreme risk of being killed, and you know that there were only 40 unarmed people, because I don't see a reason to ignore the whites here, that were killed by police last year in that situation, and you nod along and say, yes, you know, Mike, I know, I can't imagine the struggle you're enduring, the pain you feel. You are just helping this guy believe nonsense because you're afraid to engage that conversation. And whether or not that's kind of logical in some situations, that's certainly not you being woke or honorable. So again, I think I think it comes down to the facts have to be the facts. If the police kill almost nobody unjustifiably, you know, you can still criticize them for bruising guys or should they be arresting people for drugs at all? There are broader conversations, but those aren't really racialized. And that's not the conversation we're having now. Okay, right. That's really interesting. And yeah, it definitely gets good to get a varied perspective on this because, yeah, things are pretty intense at the moment, especially on social media and so on. Um, All right. Thanks a lot for joining me. And you're definitely welcome back on. We should definitely do another one if you've got time. All right. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Just contact me on Twitter or whatnot. And uh, thanks for having me this time. All right. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Speak to you soon. See you soon.